Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. While we're on confessions here, uh, Joanna, I, did you want to tell Porig about your sheep obsession? <laughs> sheep? Sheep, yes. The animal, we- the four-legged animal. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't really have sheep in Brazil or, I don't know, they're, at least they're not why out in the open in the wild and uh, with my uh, constant trips to the Netherlands mm-hmm. every time you're on the road you see the ships by the side of the road like some farms some <laughs> ships and they're super cute so I started like, like every time over every time you see <laughs> she is see sheep. No, first time that I saw the 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 ships I actually asked Kim like can you stop the car because I want to hug them <laughs> <laughs> You should never go to Ireland then. My God, you'd never get anywhere. Yeah, it's gonna bl- stop. It's gonna stopping every two seconds. Yeah, it's gonna blow your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not stopping the car to hug them, but you know, every now and then I see them. And then not only am I obsessed with the sheep because I see them all the time there, but then during spring there are baby sheep that are oh, being yeah. born. So it's like yeah. tiny little sheep is the cutest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm actually embarrassed to call you a friend at this stage. <laughs> well, you're gonna say the same thing when you go to Brazil and you see all the, you know, pup, the the birds in the in the middle of the the, the street or the little monkeys. No, I went to Brazil. I, I wasn't that excited by that by that part of it. There, there were better things. The favela funk party that was more fun than than uh, than actually. You know the, mon- uh, the monkeys industry. Yeah, but it's cute seeing, seeing the monkeys in the 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 electrical lines in the top of the buildings and stuff. Like my building in Rio used to face a little woods. Like there was a balcony facing a woods, so the monkeys would just show up all the time. So it was cute. Okay, the, not the band, but the actual the the physical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tiny little monkeys. They're very cute. Anyway, joining me in McCord on today's one football podcast is. Porig Whelan. Hello. And Joanna Bueno. Hi. We're back after an extended Christmas break. Uh, Joanna, uh, is, you know, kept going with her sheep obsession and that seems to be going well for her. Porig, I trust yours was good too then? Uh, yeah, apart from the football, that was, that was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the meantime, Dan Burke has been plugging away, working his podcast Magic on the Premier League one. That comes out each week and you can get that wherever you get your podcast hit. Uh, the email address, should you ever wish to get in touch, remains the same. It's podcast at onefootball.com. Now, Porig, in your piece on Milan Juventus the other day, uh, you wrote Wednesday night will only be the sixth day of the new year. But in Serie A, we already have a game that may not be topped for the rest of 2021. One. So did it leave? Did it live up to your expectations? Yeah, I thought it was a was a really good game, um, and I, I just thought it was going to be that big because pretty much anything except UV winning it would probably have meant that that it was extremely unlikely that they'd actually win the league just because it's such a long way back against teams that are ahead of them who don't look like. Are going to drop all that many points. Like going into the game, Milan hadn't lost since last March, um, and are obviously doing really well this season. And then you've got like Roma, Napoli, Atalanta, Sassuolo all up there. All look like they can take points off anyone. So it looked as if if Juve 
not so much. Maybe if they drew, they were still in it, and they do have they did have the game in hand. But I really didn't think they'd be able to lose. And then yeah, UV went and did what UV always do. Whenever you think that they're they're maybe dead and buried, and God forbid they could be out of a title race in January, which has been like over ten years since I think UV would have been in a situation like that. And then they uh, they come good. They find a way. They always always seem to do it, even. When Ronaldo, I think Ronaldo was wasn't involved in the game that much. They had very been, quiet last night. Other than yeah, the, other yeah, than like, that, that that set up for uh, who was it? Weston McKenney, I think it was. I think he set up for one effort. Other than that, I can't remember him doing too much. Yeah, I thought like Milan handled them. Yeah, really well. Um, they had like Alexandro and Quadrado were both out with Corona, so it, it, they needed uh, guys who haven't done so much this season like Chiesa and Dybala and guys like that to, to really step up and to be fair they, they did and they're right back in the title race again now So what, what was so different for Juve last night was it just that sort of never say die Juve mentality or was it was it more of a tactics thing or, or how did they how did they uh, they come up with the win I think Milan um, they can't, they didn't really take their chances when they were on top as well. I actually thought Milan played quite well, and three one makes it seem a lot more comfortable uh, for Juve than it was. And Milan were obviously they had their own issues with uh, with our lineup. Like Ibrahimovic was still out. I think he's I mean, he's not so much missed. Maybe in in other games you can get by without him, but that's probably the kind of game that that he's been brought back for. Um, and then the afternoon of the game they had uh, Rebic ruled out and mm. Krunic ruled out as well. so they they had to play a full back in, in midfield in the game and to be fair Calabria played actually really well he was he was really good probably Milan's best player on the night good goal uh, too scored a really good goal yeah mm. for, for a full back to get up and yeah take his goal the way the way that he took that so I thought like Milan played quite well but Juve they didn't they didn't change a lot like tactically it was just it kind of seemed it, w- it was more of like a mentality uh, thing from them where they just thought okay th- this is it it's it's like Real Madrid and Zidane in the Champions League it's like those big games where like the stakes are really high they, Real Madrid always seem to find a way in those games it's, it was almost like that uh, with Juve on, on Wednesday night where they they knew that there's very little margin for error and then yeah, uh, Chiesa stepping up in a really big way I thought he took both his goals really well because he's been quite disappointing so far like he's had red cards and stuff he's missed good chances not really found the form he had at Fiorentina but I think that could be could probably be the beginning of him because he was almost crying actually when he, when he got substituted I think mm. he really I think he f- smelled blood and he wanted a hat-trick and wanted to, to really capitalise and strike while the iron was hot. He was, and I can see why he was quite upset at coming off, but I mean, that'll have done a lot to endear him to, to UV fans now, I think. Well, he could, almost could have had the hat-trick because he hit the post too, didn't he, you know, early, in the, early in the first half. Right, yeah. Um, the, I mean, you say Milan didn't do too much, but I think it probably showed that they don't have the strength in depth, the squad depth that maybe Juventus have. You see, Juventus can bring on, you know, a couple of players that change, you know, that adds add, add the goals late on. But Milan just, you know, when you looked at their bench, it wasn't too impressive. Yeah, I think that's been like the problem with them all season, and it's not. I think people, I don't think people are just saying it. Um, because of what happened last night, I mean they've they've got by all season and done really well. But all season, people have that's been the main um, 
weakness that people have pointed out with that team is that the starting 11 is really strong and even then I look at that starting 11 and I'm not sure that they're they're title contenders but obviously I mean they are they're still in it we're almost at the halfway point that you'd have to take half but yeah you've seen the, the likes of the guys that Juve were bringing on like Kulisevsky and McKenney who's been amazing this mm. season uh, Arthur Demiral and then you look at the guys like Milan are bringing on and it's like Daniel Maldini's making <laughs> I think his sixth appearance yeah. Brahim Diaz who's like failed at Real Madrid ended up at Milan Colombo just yeah, these guys that are just—they're never gonna—they're never gonna change again. And I'm not even sure that they're good enough for, for Milan. Maybe some of those guys are probably should be better off um, being out on loan somewhere like that. But because of how thin the squad is, uh, they have to be there. Like even the starting eleven, I was quite surprised. Well, only that they had to change it because of Corona and injuries and stuff like that. But I don't think Hauga and probably even Castillejo. And then definitely Calabria were ever going to start that game. So yeah, it does show that when they're missing maybe two, three, even four of their, their main pieces, they are vulnerable. But even then, they I think they did uh, give Juve a really good game of it for a lot of that game. You know, I- I oh, yes, think this is yeah. I think this is one of Juve's most you know uh, biggest strengths is actually having a very complete squad because you've seen recently Napoli starting the season really well the last few seasons. Before that, a f- uh, c- few years ago, it was Roma that was contest the fighting for the title against Juve, and they always started very well. But then in the second half of the season, it's just Juve, Juve, Juve because uh, they have the squad to fight for Champions League and Coppa Italia and Serie A at the same time and the second part of the season that we all know is a lot tougher than the first part and then if you have teams like Napoli or Roma or Milan that don't have the same budget and don't have the same squad and you see them go down in the second half of the season so this is going to be interesting to watch in in Italy how this performs especially true of this season too given you know with the the, exactly the the nature of how it is and how much many more games they're going to have to cram into into that time yeah Uh, in a season where you can make more substitutions mm. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing uh, Porig uh, Tio Hernandez probably doesn't want to see Chiesa for for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think you can forgive him um, his games like that where he's probably not at his best because yeah, he just he gives him so much. I think he probably is. Well, him or Alfonso Davies maybe, but he's probably the most like exciting attacking left back in the world. Maybe you would give it to Davies, um, but. I think yeah you you kind of take that with it and I don't think he's even that bad defensively I think he gets a bit of a hard time because people assume if you are like a fullback who's good going forward then you can't maybe, defend yeah you, you can't <laughs> defend and it just that gets labelled at him sometimes but yeah he wasn't at his best last night but definitely not the only one I thought Romagnoli was actually quite poor as well and some of his uh, weaknesses kind of got exposed as well in the night so um, Dybala would potentially the assist of the season that was that was pretty yeah, special that was, that was special yeah <laughs> great, great effort um, the, the final I guess what one final question um, Bianconeri move within seven points of Milan now game in hand which means they're obviously going to win the league right well I, I kind of yeah uh, <laughs> you, were, does, you were reeling right. them out before the game but then everything on Wednesday just seemed to go in their favour once Sampdoria beat Inter you just thought 
Yeah, like now Inter have lost and then Napoli lost at home to Spezia after going 1-0 up and smashing them for pretty much the whole game and got caught twice and lost that one. And then you thought, yeah, those two teams have lost. This is set up really nicely now for Juve to to go to San Siro to win that game and then be like, hello, but yeah, we're still in this title race and we're probably going to come back and, and beat you all now. But... I mean, I don't know. I think it is still a long way back for them, and they are they are quite inconsistent. They do draw a lot of games, and when Milan maybe get some of their players back in, then it's all about seeing how they respond. And Juve's next game is quite a tough one as well. I think they have Sassuolo at home um, at the weekend, so that should be quite tasty. So yeah, I think it's more about how uh, the two Milan clubs kind of respond this weekend, and I think Roma play Inter so that's quite a tough one even for them so yeah it's going to be going to be a lot I think it'll be a bit clearer by maybe the end of January who's who's actually going to be in it and, and who's not but you're probably right though I mean I'm, I'm certainly not going to rule UV out uh, yeah, Roma play Inter uh, early on Sunday morning, or let's say early on Sunday afternoon. Um, not quite the day that Conte would have wanted, uh, or not quite the result Conte would have wanted from Samp, right? They should be beating teams like Samp. Mid-table team, come on. Yeah, and I just don't understand why. I mean, he was complaining after the game about how Inter got a penalty to go 1-0 up, and then within a really short space of time they'd found themselves 2-0 down because Alexis Sanchez was allowed to take the penalty and oh, missed it and then terrible penalty yeah and he's I think he's took 12 penalties in his career and he's now missed 8 of them so even <laughs> even before that he was 7 misses from 11 like I don't just do not understand why a guy like that is is being allowed to take take the penalty it's just crazy especially with Lautaro and stuff um, Ashley Young would take yeah. a better penalty than that <laughs> <laughs> Um, can we all agree um, that despite them being third and winning five of their last six games I want to say and playing pretty decent football we're not going to get excited about Roma because they won't do it they won't do anything yeah I don't think you're ever allowed to uh, okay to get ex- I mean it's they are really exciting to watch like you said and they score a lot of goals and like Mkhitaryan's uh, like a man reborn at Roma and stuff but yeah, you can rely on them for excitement, but Roma are just... They'll go to uh, Benevento or Crotone or Parma and they'll lose 3-0 or something at some point. They're just, well, they, they always have, so I mean, this is their season to prove people wrong. But yeah, they, they're one of the flakiest uh, teams out there, I think. No, I just want to. I just want to make sure that we rule them out. That I don't get my hopes up because I quite like Roma. But yeah, just we're officially ruling them out of doing anything that we can rely on. That's just yeah, good to know. Um, can I ask you about Papu Gomez? Is he okay? Oh, yes. Is, is he doing okay? Is he all right? I hope so. I mean, I'm sure he's on the phone to his agent uh, every day at this stage. What's the latest? Is he? Is is it going to be this January transfer window? Yeah. It looks, oh, it really is? It looks, yeah, like he's going to go. Um, he was left out again uh, in the last few games, pretty much all stemming from the, the Champions League game um, where apparently they had a a big fight at half time and him and uh, the coach Gasparini and people keep denying it and then he's he's leaving like cryptic uh, 
messages on Instagram and stuff saying <laughs> like, oh, when I leave, all, all will be revealed. But yeah, he's pretty much he's out of the squad now. I don't think they're, they're ever going to recall him. I think when you you cross the coach, that's it. Even if even if he is the best player on the team and, and Gasparini's still, I think, quite angry about the, the whole situation, I think he also feels like he's not been backed um, by the club and the club kind of pushed him to, to maybe find some peace with Gomez for the, the sake of, of the team. And I think they did it for one game when he played out in, in Amsterdam when they, they were trying to get into the, the last 16 of the Champions League and then they got the result that night pretty much since then yeah it's been back to being frozen out and game over from but I mean even at his age I think there should be should be a lot of clubs uh, like even in Italy and abroad that probably look at him as a really good option to have where's he going to go? that's a good question I don't think he's, it seems like every day just there's someone else um, gets linked with him Ah. Uh, I really don't. I'd love to see him join. Like I think Milan could do with maybe another like really good, mm. consistent um, attacking player instead of like we'd mentioned that earlier about they're bringing Brahim Diaz and mm. and Maldini and Colombo and guys like that off the bench. I think he could make uh, a hell of a difference to to them. But I, I can't see I can't see him going there. But I, I think it would be really fun. Well, if he wants to be put in the market by Atalanta, all he needs to do is show up in training with a Brescia shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, my, that's my favorite ever thing to ever happen in football. <laughs> He's going to be sold the next day. <laughs> the level a of guy pain. with that mentality, though, you do... Uh... You do wonder how he'll fare in Greece, who are the, notoriously a cam of it. And the pictures of him pushing the door trying to go in is the best thing for me. Oh, that was sensational. Oh, I love it. Love it. I mean, the level of pettiness is just fantastic to go to, to, go yeah. to wear your rifle shirt. <laughs> oh god Okay, uh, one final question then, Porik, uh, on, on, on Serie A. Um, are Torino going to make it? They're, yeah. they're on the rise a little, I want to say. Yeah, a, a little bit, a little bit. Um, probably should have won against Verona on, on Wednesday, but they got done by an absolute wonder goal, so not much you can do no. about that. I think, yeah, I'm reluctant to reluctant to get too carried away, but I think... Come the end of the season, there should be three worst teams in the league. <laughs> a team with like Bellotti up front and got a few good defensive players. A team like that shouldn't be going down. But I mean, Genoa are still down there. I don't really want to see Genoa go either. But then the teams that have been promoted have been really, really good, which is always fun to see. Apart from Crotone. Oh, Crotone are gone. Forget about them. Yeah, and also it's it pretty much leaves the the two other spots and that looks like it, there could be five or six still in it over the, the next few months almost but, all the way up to Udinese almost yeah. maybe <laughs> okay um, now anyway the uh, Joanna you uh, when we were talking earlier in the week and I asked you were you watching Milan Juventus you said you'd prefer to watch the Manchester Derby which <laughs> reminded me which reminded me there was a League Cup going on it was almost like it was irrelevant and I'd completely forgotten about it but then we remembered that something even bigger was going on in your part of the world to the Copa Libertadores and we, yes. just, we just had the semi-finals now I'm obviously uh, too old to be staying up and watching this but you're young and full of energy um, 
Um, so we had the first game, which was uh, Palmeiras against River Plate. Um, yes. So both of these had, had pretty decent quarterfinals and top their groups, uh, but a pretty easy win for Palmeiras. Yeah, that was very surprising, actually. I mean, of course, uh, Palmeiras has been on the rise. They changed coach about two months ago, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And they're a completely different team since the new coach arrived. Uh, but as you said, like the quarterfinals were pretty tough. Uh, they're also in the final of the Brazil Cup and the semifinal was against a small team and was also pretty tough. So you couldn't really expect Palmeiras to play at that level, especially against River Plate, who's been in the final for the last three years, I think. And has, you know, has kept more or less the same team, the same coach for the last six years. Uh, they're a very, very good team. But uh, you can't really be surprised either because Palmeiras is a wonderful squad. I think um, maybe the best squad in, in Brazil right now or the second best. But they hadn't started the season really well. So well, did it they was... Have, did they have Luxembourgo in charge at one stage this season? They did, actually. Yeah, they, start, they hired him for the beginning of the season, which was pretty... Uh, surprising and kind of unbelievable because Palmeiras won the title not last season but the season before and they were the unbeatable team and they were the ones fighting for the title against Flamengo last season but then uh, they lost the coach and they decided to hire Luxemburgo who did a pretty good job in a team that was fighting against relegation so if you want to fight for the title you don't get a coach that you know did a good job fighting against relegation so he messed up the team they had a a terrible start of the season and finally they fired him and they got uh, Abel Ferreira a Portuguese guy that was uh, in Braga and then he went to Pauk from uh, Greece and after they got eliminated in the Europa League he accepted Palmeiras offer so he completely changed the team and they've been playing the football you expect from Palmeiras since the beginning of the season so it was pretty good to watch it was actually an amazing game uh, Palmeiras was on the counter the whole time and they were way more effective. They were, you know, putting high pressure. River couldn't really play. If you watch the highlights, if you look for the highlights in, in the internet, you're going to see like River has one opportunity, maybe two. Mm. And then it was just Palmeiras, Palmeiras, Palmeiras. They had a beautiful goal that was actually a bit offside. So it was an old, but it was beautiful. It could have been 5 nil. You wouldn't really. That's what you expected from that level of football. Actually. The Luis Adriano goal was pretty good. Yes, it was, mm. and he's been playing the best football in his career. I have to say, even before, better than uh, what he did in Shakhtar. Definitely better uh, than what he did at Milan. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yes, definitely. He's a really good player. I think he didn't really have uh, a good team backing him up in Milan. Uh, he did really good in Shakhtar, but you know uh, that was a few years ago, and he's been finding his football again in. Palmeiras and he did an amazing match. Uh, I, I was going to ask you I had a surprise question for you and I was going to ask is he the best striker in South America right now? When he's fit. Yeah, yeah. I, I could say that maybe he is. Um, 
but actually the one when you watch the match and when you actually watch the last maybe one two months of Moiras you're in doubt if the best player or the best striker in the team is Luis Adriano or if it is Rony uh, a 25 year old that was uh, in Atletico Paranaense a couple uh, last year if I'm not mistaken so Rony started in Palmeiras not really well and then since the the, the team you know uh, caught up he he actually started performing really really well and he is the man of the Libertadores so far as as far as it is in goals assists uh, performance so you've got a when you have a team that you have two strikers that you don't know if which one of those is the best striker mm -hmm. in South America right now you got a pretty strong team that's, yeah that's pretty decent did you enjoy uh, Carrasco's red card as much as I did <laughs> yeah <laughs> did you see this Porik? Oh. I always enjoy when an Argentinian team gets a red card in Libertadores. <laughs> he took, uh, so it, basically it was kind of midway through the second half and, you know, River were getting frustrated because they weren't getting anywhere. And Carrasco just took an absolute boot at Menino. Like a really just a really wild swipe. But then like, then, the, the, you know, he's clearly a red card and the ref gave him a red card. And then, Mini, and then uh, Carrasco was just like, what are you talking about? What did yeah. I do? <laughs> like, he's so innocent. I love the reaction. I've got a lot of time for that. If it's if it's really going wrong and you know there's no way back, I've got a lot of time for letting your frustrations get the better of you. You just absolutely booed him. <laughs> it was brilliant. But yeah, the, yeah, the reaction afterwards was even better. I do love, I do love a red card as much as that. Um, so given that they were up, uh, a man up against River... Um, and who'd obviously lost the plot and lost their shape. Do you think um, uh, Palmeiras are going to regret not making it more than three, Joanna? No, I don't think so. I oh, think, okay. uh, of course, you have to, you know, you can't really give this match done. You can't really say it's done and we're in the final because, you know, it's River Plate. It's not just any team. It's a team that has been in the last finals, that has won the title. Uh, it's a team that has really, really good players and a very professional coach. So uh, I think it's going to do some Guardiola stuff and watch this match over and over to find out where he can change what he can change or where he can put his players he's going to study Palmeiras a lot better for the second match so let's hope that Palmeiras play as good as the football as they did and they don't just you know stay behind trying to guard their advantage but um, I don't I think Palmeiras has a, a really good advantage and a really good team. So it's not going to be easy, but I think they can get through. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be easy. Like they're not going to lose it from there. 3-0 up at home. Yeah, people in, in Brazil were reminding that uh, once uh, River Plate got a 3-0 from Jorge Wilstermann, a team from Bolivia, and that no one could believe it. And then in the second leg, they won 8-0. <laughs> 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 I, I don't think they can beat Palmeiras 8-0. I mean, they can hardly beat it 3-0, but um, it's going to be tough, but it's going to be good to watch. I used to love those South American qualifiers where Brazil would go to Bolivia and they'd lose like 1-0. And then Bolivia would go back to Rio and re like Brazil would hockey them like 5 or 6 nil. Yeah. Um, in the other semi-final it was uh, Santos against Boca Juniors Maradona against Pelé uh, Yeah. Yeah. What did, what did we miss or did we miss anything at all? Because it was probably a nil-all draw. Pelé's goals. He's probably <laughs> <scored again. laughs> 
He's too, well, Pele's too busy updating his Instagram <laughs> bio. Well, Pele said he didn't update it. He said it's always been like that. He mm. said he to didn't fair, change I, it. I thought that as well. When, I when thought so he, too. Everyone was saying that. I was like, I don't think he's updated that. Yeah, so I, was... I didn't see a print, a screenshot of the Instagram profile before he changed it. So I'm still waiting for the proof. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll stay on Pele's side then. Uh, so did we, did we miss anything? It wasn't the best match, but <laughs> we, we, we missed the penalty. Actually, the, the referee missed the penalty because there was a clear penalty in the first half uh, from Boca uh, uh, taking down Marinho in the in the 16. But, um, and w- of course, would have been a great advantage to Santos to win the match one year if they scored it uh, in Argentina, in Bombonera, you know, great advantage to come back. But it, it wasn't as exciting and uh, it wasn't as exciting as we hoped it would be. So let's hope the excitement from this semifinal comes in the second leg. Are they, um, obviously, I don't, from what I could see, there was no fans at the game. But are they piping in music or is there fans outside the stadium? Because this, there still sounded like there was crowd noise there. Oh, I'm pretty sure there are fans outside the stadium. I didn't see ah, okay. that because I was mm-hmm. watching the, the match and they didn't show anything from outside. I think maybe not to influence people to go there and join them maybe mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure there's fans outside and also in, in La Boca it's, it, the stadium is kind of in the middle of a bunch of houses mm-hmm. so I think if people scream from the window you can probably hear it in the stadium you, you definitely can uh, I know we've said this a million times but football is so shit with our fans when you see when you're, you're used to hearing the noise from the Bombonera and when you, you you go and watch then you know go watch that game and then there's no noise it's just, oh, just yeah. rubbish just rubbish this last few games uh, in in England in Premier League where they had like a few f- fans like 2,000 fans before mm-hmm. they banned the fans again it made such a huge difference 2,000 people and it sounded like it was a full stadium yeah yeah I know we missed them yeah. um, w- w- what would you expect from these sides then in the next match do you think uh, you think kind of Santos will go all out and attack or will they will they play a kind of cagey affair I don't really know what to expect from Santos this season because they're so irregular and uh, as I said Palmeiras has a a wonderful squad but we can't say the same about Santos but at the same time uh, Marinho this guy that actually suffered the penalty uh, he's no young guy he's I think 30 years old but he's been playing the best football of his life in the last two years so uh, he can decide the match but I I can't really make predictions for this uh, match but um, it's a big classic also it's um, you know they've decided some um, some Libertadores final a few times in Pelé times uh, more recently also when uh, Robinho and Diego used to play for Santos so um, it's let uh, we have to wait and watch okay and the final is in the Maracanã no? Finals in Maracanã, no fans, 30th of January. It's going to be a pity that, you know, there's going to be no fans. But um, it's the second year of uh, a one final because Libertadores used to be home and away finals. So last year was the first one, still with fans because it was in November, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And, you know, this is going to be very, well, sad, but... <laughs> safe right sad but safe right and just to be clear this is the 2020 version of the Copa Libertadores because yes. it, it's carried over right isn't that what exactly. Yeah. exactly in South America usually the season is January to December and uh, this season is going to be until f- January February more or less 
So PSG got into the Christmas spirit by sacking Thomas Tuchel and replacing him with Maurizio Pochettino. Joining us to discuss that is our head of our all things French here at One Football, Thomas Bourguignon. Hello, hello Ian, hello everyone. Uh, Thomas, uh, why the sack? Why then? What went wrong? <laughs> Three nice easy questions just to kick it all off. <laughs> Yeah, f- first of all, happy happy new year to 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 everyone, and uh, happy new year to to Thomas Tuchel, oh. who, who received the news on on the Christmas Eve. I think <laughs> it was uh, it must have been a, a terrible Christmas Eve for for Thomas Tuchel, even though even though he left PSG with a with a seven million euros uh, check. And Not I'm really sure, uh, seven yeah. million. Yeah, so I think it's it's enough to buy a, a, a nice Christmas present for for his entire family. But the 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 question is so yes, it it, it took everyone by by surprise. Why uh, why sacking uh, Thomas Tuchel six months before the end of his contract? Uh, why at this moment in the season? And first, after the surprise, after the initial uh, shock, when you think about it, it's it. it there were so many reasons uh, why uh, Thomas Tuchel uh, 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 w- w- was to be sacked, and I'm, I'm going to let the, the stats, the, the, the number of points aside. To me, the, the first reason is that Tuchel, like Unai Emery uh, before him, was hired uh, at PSG to to implement a style, a way of playing that had been seen for Emery uh, at Sevilla, for uh, Thomas Tuchel in Dortmund. And we, we have to say that after two seasons and a half at PSG, this Tuchel style was very hard to, to see on the, on, the, on, the, on the pitch. It was getting worse and worse, especially during this fall. Uh, there was no identity anymore uh, in that PSG team. Many factors, many reasons can can explain it. Uh, uh, starting with the number of injuries, there is an impressive number of uh, of injuries in that in that squad. But uh, I guess the, the 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 top management of PSG was was tired of 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 constate, of uh, of seeing that there was no progression in that area. Uh, the second good reason explaining this uh, this sacking is that Thomas Tuchel went into conflict or went into a fight with the with the top management at PSG it happened with Antero Enrique uh, right when he when he arrived at PSG and then with Leonardo uh, the sporting director uh, Everyone says it, it was getting worse and worse between the between the the, the, the two men. Uh, Thomas Tuchel was not happy with the the transfers uh, uh, ordered by by Leonardo. And the the last straw on that on that aspect is the the interview that Tuchel gave a few weeks ago to a German newspaper. Ba- basically, was criticizing the the top management at PSG, saying that working at PSG was uh, was too much of a political job that uh, the, the political aspect of the job at PSG was was too much uh, uh, present and that that's what people say uh, was not uh, accepted by the by the top direction uh, the management of, of, of the club uh, so that's that's two uh, uh, good uh, do, good reasons to explain this sacking and if you think about uh, uh, the way of thinking of the of the, the Qatari uh, uh, management at PSG, uh, Tuchel for them is just an employee, right? And uh, six months before the end of, of his contract, 
it was only 7 million euros. Uh, it was a cost of only 7 million euros. So they could afford it. And if you look at the, the coaches that uh, 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 trained at PSG under the, 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 the Qatar era, so which started almost 10 years ago now, none of the, so Tourel was the fifth coach uh, uh, during that period and none of them uh, uh, finished their contract. So Ancelotti uh, left the club, uh, uh, he decided to leave the club to go to Real Madrid, but all the other uh, trainers, they were fired by, uh, by Nasser or by the, 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 the Emir of Qatar, uh, um, we, we don't know, right? So there is, there is kind of a, of a pattern, and I think they wanted to... And that's perhaps the, the last reason. They wanted to hire, of, in the same spirit of hiring Unai Emery, Tuchel, Pochettino, Pochettino nowadays is regarding as one of these trendy, uh, you know, trend, trendy, attractive coaches, a winning Bielsa. Uh, he has this uh, f- philosophy of, of, of nice play uh, implemented by Bielsa, but on top of it, he's flexible and wants to, to he has this, uh, this winning culture. Uh, and that's why I guess the, 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 the Qataris uh, decided to, to change at this moment of the season because they could afford it. And the last reason to me, perhaps, you have to keep in mind that right now, uh, Neymar and Mbappé are in talks to renegotiate and to extend their contract at, uh, at PSG. Everybody says that Tourel basically was spending a lot of time managing the egos uh, at PSG and some players, they were complaining that the, the training uh, sessions were a bit too light, that uh, they were not spending enough time on, on tactics, that uh, Tourel was perhaps too nice with the, with the superstars uh, 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 in the PSG locker room. And perhaps... The top, man- the top management is sending a message to Mbappé and, and, and Neymar saying, look, we are hiring a, like one of the hottest uh, coaches in, uh, in, in Europe. Uh, if you follow him, if you follow us, all the elements are gathered at uh, Paris to win the Champions League. And that could be like, a, you know, a nice argument to convince Mbappé and Neymar to stay at Paris Saint-Germain rather than, than go to, to Real Madrid or, or somewhere else. There's a couple of things in that. Um, what, did Tom, what did Tuchel expect? I mean, he knew, everybody knows PSG is going to be a political club and that you've got to manage up as well as down. Surely he must have known that going into it. It seems a bit naive of, of him, I would say. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but it's, I don't know if it, it was naive of, of himself, but it's perhaps also the, the, one of the, the key elements that is missing today in, in, uh, at PSG. Uh, can, can we consider that PSG is one of the top football clubs today in, uh, in, in Europe? To me, something is lacking, is still lacking at PSG to, to, to really consider the club at the, at the same level as uh, Real Madrid, FC Barcelona, Manchester United. It's, it's something that is hard to define. It's a kind of culture of DNA that perhaps the club had in the 90s, beginning of the, the, the 2000, but that is still missing under the Qatar era. It's, uh, and what I mean is that one person uh, alone cannot personify or embody the entire project of a club, right? And it's hard to tell at PSG 
who are the, the people in charge of the project and if they are working together to, to, to go in, 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 into the same direction. And it seems that under Tourel, Tourel was uh, always in conflict. Tourel was chosen by Qatar directly, by the Emir. Mm-hmm. That's what it says. It said, but he got into conflict with uh, Antero Enrique, who was the choice of uh, Nasser Al Khalifi. Now he was in conflict with Leonardo, who also was uh, rehired by by Nasser. And yes, it seems that he he didn't he, he didn't have uh, he was more and more isolated uh, uh, at the club. He was also more and more concentrating on the on the coaching aspect. He thought that it was enough, but definitely at PSG it's not enough. You have to be uh, you have to be political. And I will I will I will perhaps open to your next question. But what is really interesting is the few words the the first few words of po- of Pochettino at PSG. Mm. Basically, what he said is that. Oh, the the squad, the current squad is magnificent. Uh, all the elements are re, uh, reunited already at PSG to to win. So basically, he was saying that Leonardo was doing a great job uh, at PSG. And then his second comment was, "Oh, we're gonna have uh, many many games to play, but I'm confident that if we work together with all the departments within the club, especially with the medical department, we can do a tremendous job. I'm very happy with the the medical department of the club got also in conflict with Tourel last season. So you can feel that Pochettino already uh, grasped this uh, political side of the job at PSG and is willing." to uh, incorporate this uh, political aspect of the job uh, in his uh, management at, P- at PSG. It seems the key to potentially succeeding at PSG is to stay on the good side of Leonardo. He seems the all, almost like an all-powerful figure there. Uh, I would, yeah, I would advise uh, Pochettino to... But it seems that Pochettino was also chosen by Leonardo so that's a that's a good sign for that's a good sign for for Pochettino but I would advise if I if I'm in a position to give any advice to to Pochettino I don't think he needs my advice well you know he could he could be listening you never know (laughs) he could be listening no but uh, for the first six months uh I, I guess he needs to yes to to what do you say to work uh, gently and uh, smartly with all the components in the club, especially with Leonardo, because definitely Leonardo is the man in charge of recruitment and transfers at, at PSG. So, and I think, I'm sure Pochettino knows that. I mean, other than, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he manages the big egos like, you know, Nick, Neymar and Mbappe, because that's something he's never really done before. And like, I'm no disrespect to Son or Harry Kane. I think Mbappe and Neymar are on a different level. Is that the most difficult thing you'll have to do? Over the next Definitely. over the next couple of months, just to realize how to do that. Definitely, but on a because when you, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a specialist of uh, of Pochettino, but from what I've I've seen, from what I've read, his his philosophy, his way of playing requires a lot of flexibility and a lot of intensity from the players. Uh, it is based on 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 running. On um, on putting pressure on the on the opposite uh, the opposing side, whether it is on offense or defense, and that it is exactly what uh, Tourel 
didn't manage well with uh, Neymar and Mbappé. How do you use Neymar and Mbappé together on the pitch and how do you get them to run and to, to do the defensive uh, efforts for the team? Uh, because at Tottenham or even perhaps before at uh, Southampton, the entire 11 or 10 field players uh, of Pochettino, they were collectively putting the pressure on the opposing side to, to get the ball back as fast as, as, uh, as possible. But at PSG, only only eight players uh, do that, right? Mm. And uh, the, the 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 difficult part is to is to get uh, Mbappe and uh, and and Neymar to to do it, right? Or if you let one of them, for instance, Neymar, free from any uh, defensive uh, uh, defensive run, at least you need Mbappe to to do it, right? <laughs> It's yeah. something that you that we that we saw a bit yesterday night against uh, Saint Etienne, but uh, it, it seems not natural for Mbappe to do it. He can do it a few times during the during the game, but it's not something natural. So yeah, the first the first challenge for for Pochettino of definitely will be to to convince uh, players like Mbappe and Neymar to to. To, to do the, their collective uh, their part for the for the collective uh, work right it should be nice and easy it shouldn't be too difficult a job to do <laughs> exactly especially especially at a time when the the two players are in talks with the with the club to renegotiate their, their contract so of course you want to manage the egos because if he goes too much uh, on one side i mean if he's completely not flexible with his system and with his philosophy he could take the risk of uh, how do you how do you say it in English to to uh, to up? make to isolate to, them yeah or to make them unhappy mm. and that could have an influence uh, definitely in the in the renegotiation of the of the contract right. Um, any any talking points from the game against Saturday last night? I guess it was pretty underwhelming a one all draw. Yeah, yeah. The, the, of course, it's the first game uh, of of Pochettino. The first game after only two days of uh, of practice uh, with the with the team. Uh, there are there were nine players uh, injured and uh, and who were not uh, uh, how do you say available for the for the game. So the the most the, the main talking point is that he he, he aligned a four three three system with uh, Verratti playing as a as a playmaker as a number ten. So that that was the the novelty, and everyone was questioning: Is really Verratti? capable uh, of playing in that position because it requires a lot of running and also uh, the ability to play uh, more with uh, the, his back to the opposite uh, uh, goal. What Verratti doesn't like much, Verratti likes to have uh, the entire uh, pitch in front of him. Um, and also he placed uh, uh, Mbappé on the, on the left side. Probably to 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 also uh, implement a more direct uh, uh, style of play, and we we saw it a few uh, a few times uh, during the game. We saw that uh, Verratti gave the the decisive uh, pass to to Moise Keane for the for the equalizer. So perhaps Verratti is 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 able to play as a, as a number ten, but on the opposite. The, the the on the the goal scored by Saint Etienne, 
was due to a joint mistake by uh, uh, Kerrer giving a bad pass to uh, Ganagay, who was playing as a number six, as a, as a defensive, uh, defensive midfielder. I'm pretty sure that if Verratti had been playing in his natural position as number six, he would have made something with the bad pass of, uh, of Kerrer, right? He would have, uh, you know, washed the ball and gave it clean to someone else and PSG would have avoided the goal. But as Verratti was not playing in his natural position, perhaps it, it led to this, uh, to this goal. And what we saw also, and it's uh, in, what, was, what will be very interesting is to see if it, if it can be implemented in the, in the next weeks, in the, during the next games, is that Pochettino wants the player to put a lot of pressure on the, on the opponent. We saw it for during the first 20 minutes and surprisingly during the last 20-25 minutes of the game when Pochettino uh, modified his, uh, his system to a 4-4-2. Uh, but obviously there was not a big major difference with the PSG we saw under Tuchel during the fall. The, 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 the overall impression is that this squad, these players are a bit tired. They look tired uh, physically, mentally, and the overall impression of the team, of the, there is no uh, impression of a, of a collective uh, work of a, of a, you know, of a, of a team. It's still, uh, it's still uh, not very pleasant, pleasant to watch. With, I mean, they're halfway through the season. They've still got quite a bit to go, as well as the Champions League. Uh, that's that's not a good look, really. That's uh, that's a good question because uh, even though they were, they are not impressive on the on the on the on the pitch. Even though the the visual impression of the of the team is not excellent. They managed with all the all the injuries they had. Uh, I I looked at the stats. Can you imagine that among the twenty five, there, there are between twenty five and thirty uh, professional players at PSG this season. Among this group of players, only two were able to play every game or to be available for every game. It's Mitchell Backer and uh, Moise Keane. The, the rest of the team, they at least missed one game due to an injury or COVID. Blah, blah, blah. Just two players? That's insane. Only two players uh, in, the, in that group. So to, just to give you an idea of the number of injuries and, and uh, unavailabilities that the Tourel had to, to face uh, this fall. But So despite all that, uh, Tourel managed to to be only uh, one point uh, to to lag one, only one point behind uh, in the Ligue 1 ranking uh, uh, after 17 uh, match days, and also he managed to finish first in the Champions League group. So that that still gives the the idea or the impression that this group against Barcelona will be ready, uh, perhaps not as a team, but as a you know as a, as a as a, as a team of individuals because because it's FC Barcelona because it's Messi they will be ready uh, so the draw leaves PSG second uh, Lyon still top Lille in, in third um, we talk about PSG looking tired do you reckon Lyon and Lille can last the rest of the title race uh, 
you know, it's it's interesting because it's not the first time that that PSG is not uh, is not leading the table at uh, at this stage of the of the season. Uh, under the Qatar era, so since the over the past ten years or so, it happened with uh, in 2016, and Monaco finally uh, won the title. Mm. It happened in 2014. But PSG became champion. It, 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 happened, it happened before in, in 2011, and Montpellier uh, was crowned. So it's possible. It's possible that uh, that PSG not being leader, lead, leading Ligue 1 at this stage of the season could mean that perhaps Lyon or Lille could uh, could win at the end of the season. Honestly, regarding Lille. I don't think it's possible for for several reasons. First of all, because they still have, they, they have a young, talented but young, inexperienced uh, team overall, and also they're gonna play the Europa League uh, uh, this uh, this spring. But uh, sorry, uh, yes, this uh, in February and. They want to 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 achieve or to play well in Europe, so that could take a lot of energy from them. And what we saw yesterday night is that they they lost three points at home against Angers. Angers is a is a, a good team in Ligue 1. It's a, it's hard to play. Still, they they should have even if it was a bad night uh, for the team, they should have managed to at least get one point. But they were not able to do to do so. So I don't believe in Lille. But, but regarding Lyon, what is interesting with Lyon is that it also it, it is also a talented uh, team, uh, but they are more experienced. They have an, uh, an experienced coach, uh, coach Rudy Garcia, who's already uh, won the, the French title with Lille uh, in the past. And the good the good thing is that they they won at PSG, so they, they got three points from PSG from PSG, and they're not playing any uh, European Cup this season. So uh, basically, the, the the only thing they have to play is the is Ligue 1. So it's possible. It's possible for Lyon to 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 maintain uh, the advance or to 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 win at the end of the season. Are they even going to have a title to fight for? Because it it looks like French football is in some uh, mur- <laughs> murky financial waters, shall we say? It's uh, it's the it's it's one of the questions right right now because as you as you may know. Uh, the the Ligue 1 uh, started a new broadcast uh, cycle uh, last uh, last August with uh, with Spanish company MediaPro, who entered the market with a with a, a huge huge amount of money, and it was the dream for Ligue 1. They had, it was the perspective of of uh, what do you say bridging the of filling the gap with the the other uh, main uh, European leagues. Uh, because in France, and it's important to say that in France, we are convinced we are part of the top five countries, uh, when in the rest of Europe, only four countries are considered like a major, major leagues, right? Uh, Italy, Spain, uh, uh, the UK, or England and, and Germany. But in France, we are convinced we are part of that club. Anyway, so the problem is uh, Mediapro stopped paying after after one month and uh, the deal uh, is now uh, broken and there is no more money, no more uh, TV money coming in. And the clubs, you imagine the clubs, they started the season, they had a budget based on that uh, on that money and that money doesn't exist anymore. Some clubs already said that in February, March, they could have some cash uh, cash flow problems, and perhaps they they wouldn't be able to to pay uh, some employees. 
every option is on the table right now. They want to, they would like the, 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 the players to renegotiate the, the contract and to accept like a five, 10%, uh, um, how do you say, uh, decrease mm -hmm. in their, in their wages. They will have to find some money by the end of the season. The problem is how, how do you find that money? Usually, uh, traditionally French football, the, the French clubs are, uh, structurally, uh, in the red and they and they compensate by the the tv money by the by the broadcast money and by the transfers and their best client has always been the premier league unfortunately brexit is now uh, is now uh, live and it's going to be more difficult for 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 Premier League clubs to to buy uh, uh, talents in Ligue 1, and you know the the criteria be better than I do. But you you it's uh, you cannot uh, um, uh, transfer players under eight, uh, age eighteen. Uh, there is a limitation uh, in the recruitment of player uh, mm -hmm. under twenty one. The managers are already complaining about it. I can imagine, but uh, but for Ligue 1 in the short term, for Ligue 1 it's a, it's a catastrophe because all the clubs were expecting to to sell like a a good player to Brighton for 30 million euros, like uh, like a, that we that as we saw in the in the past uh, in the past uh, seasons, but. Already last summer, the Premier League clubs they stopped uh, investing in Ligue 1. It's gonna be harder for them to invest in Ligue 1 this uh, this winter. So the question is, uh, how are gonna uh, how are the clubs gonna balance the books at the end of the season? That's uh, that's an excellent question. And yes, if uh, if you want to buy uh, a, a, a good international player in Ligue 1 uh, this winter, uh, you can uh, perhaps call your banker because it's uh, it's the the bargaining season. <laughs> Every, everyone is on the market. Uh, uh, Memphis Depay. Memphis Depay is only uh, six months uh, to the end of his contract at Lyon. It's the same with uh, Tovin, with uh, even Dimitri Payet. I think uh, Marseille. If you want to help Marseille, you can uh, make an offer for uh, Strotman and for uh, Mitroglou, mm. who have a huge, uh, who are earning a, a lot of money at uh, at Marseille without uh, without playing. So. I don't know if I ever told you this, but whenever you know the owner of uh, of Marseille has the same surname as me, right? Uh, and every time something bad gets happens at Marseille, I get all of these texts from irate Marseille fans telling me, hey, you know, don't sell Paye or whatever, you know, <laughs> like I have some sort of influence. I want to let people know if you're listening, I've no influence over Marseille whatsoever, despite what my name may be. Uh, and an even uh, just final thing, it is even more troubling news for French football. Raymond Dominic is back. My God. Can you believe it? It's uh, <laughs> honestly, I was thinking about about it. It's uh, everybody was was shocked. Uh, uh, I thought they were trolling. The... I thought it was fake news. <laughs> and, but it's it's pure Raymond Domenech. It's uh, Raymond Domenech is always doing something you didn't expect. You know, and it's uh, but just to to give you a few uh, a few uh, a few insights. What is really funny is that. Uh, what, what were you doing, Ian, on on June the second, nineteen ninety three? June the second, nineteen ninety three. Do you remember? Or? I was probably playing out of my bike or something like that. Okay, it was it was the last uh, the last time Raymond Domenech coached a Ligue 1 team. <laughs> Not really. I, he was he was it was his, uh, he was uh, coaching uh, Olympique Lyonnais back then. And it's his last experience as a Ligue 1 coach. 
After that, he entered the, the French Federation, he notably managed the, 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 the under-23 uh, mm -hmm. team, and then he became the, the, the manager of the, of the French national team from 2004 to 2010. You probably remember uh, how it ended. It was mm. a, a trauma for French football and, uh, and for France. And uh, it's the, what happened in, the, in South Africa in, in, in 2010 with the bus, the players who didn't, uh, didn't want to train. They went on strike. They didn't want to leave the bus to go uh, training. And Raymond Domenech, he decided to read the letter written by oh. the players saying that they were unhappy with the treatment reserved to uh, Nicola Anelka, blah, blah, blah. It was a disaster. A film uh, by the uh, by all the the media in the world and uh, showing once again French people going on strike. But even yeah. the, the, the the footballers, can you believe it? The French footballers earning million euros, they go on strike because they are not happy. It was it was terrible. Even Nicolas Sarkozy intervened, saying it was a shame. Blah, blah. Imagine that. What is really funny with Raymond Domenech, just to give you a, a few uh, a few a few insights, is that after this uh, this trauma, he left, uh, of course, the, the French Federation, and he became a pundit in the in the TV media, and he also became the president of the the coaches union. There is a, un a union for uh, an association for coaches in uh, in France, and. Uh, for instance, in uh, so FC Nantes, which is also like a, 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 a club that is unfortunately has, has lost its soul under uh, since 2007, and when uh, Valdemar Quita bought the club, just to give you a figure, Valdemar Quita bought the club in August 2007. Mm. Since then, he consumed Raymond Domenech is coach number 17 <laughs> in 13 years, 17 coaches. And one of them was Claudio Ranieri. And of when course. Ranieri, when Ranieri uh, 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 signed his contract at Nantes, he was 67 years old. And there is, there is a clause uh, in, the, in the French uh, regulation by the coaches, you cannot coach a, a French league and club if you're more than 65 years old. Uh, you need, uh, how do you call it, like a, an exception. You need uh, to ask mm -hmm. for the right to coach. And Raymond Domenech said it was a shame that uh, Nantes was hiring a 67-year-old coach. He was too old. <laughs> do you know, so Raymond is going to celebrate uh, his birthday on uh, January the 24th. Of course, he will be uh, 69 years old. So, uh, of course, he's always doing the contrary of what uh, he said. Just uh, another few funny stories about Raymond Domenech. Uh, so, when Ranieri uh, was coaching uh, uh, Nantes, Ranieri adopted a very defensive tactics uh, for uh, an away game at PSG. Basically, he, all, he said that he was going to park the bus in front of, the, of, 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 their, of their goal. And of course, they, they, they lost the game 4-1. to one. So Raymond Domenech went on Twitter making fun of, uh, of Ranieri saying, hey, so the bus, uh, the bus strategy didn't, didn't work very well, right? And the community manager of Nantes replied on Twitter, Mr. Domenech, you are in no position to talk about buses anymore <laughs> referring to, didn't, to 2010 didn't he propose to his uh, girlfriend live on tv as well that's 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 the best story about raymond domenech imagine uh, uh imagine ian you so you you've played you 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 
you've played the final of the of the World Cup mm -hmm. with the French national team, and two years later at the Euro uh, uh, 2008, you are eliminated at the group stage. Very, it was a pitiful uh, uh, you know, um, performance. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Uh, right after the final whistle of the final game, when the t when the when the TV uh, journalist asks you what you're gonna do in the future, yeah, na naturally I proposed to my girlfriend live on TV. That's the most normal thing any person would do. Exactly, especially <laughs> when your especially when your girlfriend is a TV presenter, is a TV journalist who is presenting the after game show. So you can imagine she was presenting the show. She the after game show. So basically, he proposed her just before she went live on TV, right? And and she was completely shocked by the end. The funny thing is that she said no. Uh, she refused. They are still together. They are, they are still together 12 years later. Uh, they had uh, two kids together. They are happily uh, happy couple. But she refused and she gave him a hard time because it had a, it also had an impact on her on her on her professional career. Yeah, I can imagine. I can only imagine because honestly, this uh, it started quite well yesterday night. Raymond Domenech he parked the bus uh, mm -hmm. him, him as well. He parked the bus against Rennes and he, man he managed to get a zero zero and to get one point. It's important for Nantes because the club is really fighting against relegation uh, this uh, this season. Uh, but it looks like it's. <laughs> It's uh, I don't know. It's fifty-fifty. There is uh, one ch one chance out of two that it it goes that not uh, that it he fails and that not uh, gets relegated. I can only imagine that uh, Raymond Domenech will ask uh, his girlfriend Estelle Denis, Estelle Denis once again uh, next June after not uh, gets relegated, for instance. <laughs> I had heard that at his first training session, a, a, a band turned up <laughs> playing circus music. Is that true? <laughs> but it's uh, because the, of course, the, the 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 training was behind closed doors, right? So what the fans did is that they brought, uh, uh, how do you call it, like a sound system in their cars, and they drove next to the to the training ground, and they played the music very well, uh, wishing Raymond Domenech welcome to the FC. Kita training uh, circus. <laughs> and it's true that for them, for the fans, and it's really hard for the FC Nantes fans because for the past 13 years, you have to, you have to consider that FC Nantes uh, was regarded long time in France as a school for what is known in France as le jeu à la Nantes, the Nantes playing style based on passing, accuracy, speed, beautiful game, uh, Coaches, very famous coaches like uh, 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 Suodo, Denuex, who are like a bit, they, they were the predecessors of Bielsa, so mm. just to give you an image. And then uh, Valdemar Kita bought the club in 2007, and all this heritage got. Uh, it, it vanished. It vanished basically because, as I said, 17 coaches in uh, in 13 years. The the identity of players completely disappeared. The link with the with the academy has completely disappeared because Nantes is also very famous for producing unbelievable players in the past, such as Marcel Desailly, Didier Deschamps, but also mm. uh, Toulalan, uh, and so on Ma and so on. Makelele and Payet? Makelele, Payet, I have a doubt if it's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's not uh, Payet, okay. and also uh, Loco, Pedros, Wedek, mm. good, very good players. All of them with, you know, with a soft, uh, uh, very skilled players, elegant players, 
and all that all that it disappeared it disappeared and 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 Renon Domenech is not famous for his uh, uh, flashy uh, style of play it's more uh, defensive uh, practical uh, style of play and for the for the for the fans and also hiring a coach who hasn't coached a league and team for 27 years it's it looks like it's a desperate measure, but when you think about it, Kita is the probably the most hated uh, uh, League 1 president, and basically he hired the most hated coach in France. So at least for the next six months, he can relax and uh, and go on vacation. He knows that Raymond Domenech will take all the blame and, and not him. Right? So perhaps it's a smart move. Perhaps it's a smart move. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Joanna Poring and Thomas. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, should you miss us, you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, the address to do so, podcast at 14 